This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review. It is Wednesday. Daphna, how's it hanging? It's going well. It's going Actually, I'm not going to lie. This is maybe nerdy of me, but it was kind of fun to review <laughs> the surfactant details because we spent so much time learning them. They're definitely on the test. So, well, some One of those things is a question on the test, for sure. They're, they're definitely on the test. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, learning about the history was cool. I'm really excited about the next two days of, of board review for sure. Cause I think these are super clinically relevant. Right. So the, 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 I'm going to talk about a lot of things. I'm going to basically mm-hmm. try to do one episode split over split over two days. Cause there's probably like 30 to 40 minutes of content to cover. <laughs> the first question we want to know is how can we administer surfactant and that question is is a tough one, and there's a lot to unfold and 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 um, unwrap when it comes to how do we give surfactant. So, the first method that is probably the most uh, well the, the the most well known and is the one that we call insure. And basically, insure is spelled I N S U R E, and it stands for in intubation, sure surfactant, and the E at the end is extubation. Mm-hmm. So basically, that means that you put in a tube, give surfactant, you almost do not even secu- secure the tube, I guess is a, would be incorrect, but you don't tape the tube, you don't try to leave the baby intubated mm-hmm. for very long. After a, a surfactant has been administered, the tube comes out fairly quickly. Yeah, you can't forget the E. No, no, right. no. <laughs> and so I was trying to trace back the origin of the technique, and I believe, if, and, and if I'm wrong, people can correct me, the paper that described this technique was published in the New England Journal of Medicine on October 20th, 1994. And this study was titled Surfactant Therapy and Nasal Continuous Positive Pressure for Newborn with Respiratory Distress Syndrome. And it was published by Verdier or Verdier and colleagues from the Danish-Swedish Multicenter Study Group. This study, what they did is that they randomized 68 infants with RDS to receive either surfactant therapy with nasal CPAP, right? So, um, or nasal CPAP alone. And this was not a blind trial. And the outcome of interest was the percentage of patients who required mechanical ventilation. Now, what's interesting is that if you read through the paper, the description of how insure was done is quite interesting. And so I'm going to, I'm going to try to read, uh, from the paper. So it says, and I quote, infants randomly assigned to treatment with surfactant were treated with morphine and atropine before intubation. Treatment with naloxone before extubation was optional. Mm. Surfactant was given in two boluses, uh, two bolus doses, I'm sorry, a few minutes apart. After each dose, the infants underwent manual ventilation, usually for two to five minutes. As soon as respiration was judged satisfactory, the infants were extubated. Treatment was considered to have failed in infants who were not extubated within one hour or who were reintubated for ventilatory therapy within five days. So what's interesting about it is that, number one, <clears throat> 1994, they were conscious enough to pre-medicate their babies for intubation, mm-hmm. which, to be honest with you, I mean, you're intubating the baby, but if your intent is to mm-hmm. extubate the baby right after, 
it can be quite nerve wracking. I mean, it, it made <laughs> right. It definitely, uh, but but. But, but I thought was, that was interesting that they were using, they were actually reversing, right? Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, um, and so, so yeah, so I thought that was, that was very interesting and very modern of them in, in their late, in the early 1990s of describing the technique. So what they found was that the need for subsequent mechanical ventilation was reduced with surfactant therapy to, uh, 43, to, um, so it was reduced to 43% in the surfactant treated babies compared with 85% of the controls. So a very dramatic response. Mm-hmm. I mean, technically, right? You, you're, you're thinking about the study and it's like, well, those kids got surfactant. So technically that, that makes sense, right? But um, it's easy for us to do because we have the, right? We're doing what we call in the US Monday morning quarterbacking. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, we know it works. And, but at the time they, they didn't know if this was going to be a right. reasonable technique. After 28 days, um, two of the 68 babies uh, that were surfactant treated had died as compared with five in the control group. Uh, and the study really confirmed the merits of Insure, and it would not be long before other investigators around the globe tried it out. And so a few years later, in 2007, there was an interesting study that I found from uh, Bolin and colleague, and it came to us from Iceland, and it basically looked at the implementation of surfactant treatment during continuous positive airway pressure um, in a retrospective sort of fashion, um, and it basically, Outflyer was an interesting study because it compared basically two units and they had one unit that had implemented Insure and another that continued with the usual, uh, the usual care, which was you stayed on non-invasive until you quote unquote failed, you got intubated and then you got surfactant while you want mechanical ventilation. And it was interesting. And it's a study from 2007 because they looked at babies from 1993 to 2002. So they had like a good nine, 10 years of, of data. And just like the the, the study that we uh, that we uh, quoted from the New England, insure babies were premedicated and given Narcan to reverse the uh, opioid given before extubation. And people were following, right? The people were following whatever the, the paper had described. So that makes sense. And so the results to me were staggering. Uh, so the infants were quite small, right? The gestational age ranged from 27 to 34 weeks. The implementation of Insure reduced the number of infants requiring mechani- mechanical ventilation by 50%. Now, when you're looking at some of the treatment characteristics, um, the percentage of babies that needed medical mechanical ventilation went down from 38% to 19% in one unit, while in the other that didn't use it went from 59% to 66%. Actually, it actually went up. Um, I believe that the really the popularity of the technique is is really well known now. I think everybody is familiar with Insure. And so I don't think we really need to go into much more discussion about the benefits of Insure uh, at, at this point, right? So the next thing that's interesting is, is LISA, right? So LISA is another technique in which we can administer surfactant. And LISA stands for Less Invasive Surfactant Administration. Now, if you're like me, and you're recording a podcast about surfactant administration, it's a pain in the butt because LISA is the word is probably the one we commonly use, but there's a lot of other terms that people use to describe exactly what LISA is. So you have MIST, which is minimally invasive surfactant therapy. You have LISA, which we talked about. You have SURE, which is surfactant without endotracheal tube, which I was not familiar with. You have MISA, 
which is minimally invasive surfactant administration. Mm -hmm. And you also have NISA, non-invasive surfactant administration. So some people have published data on the same technique using all these different names. And so doing a PubMed search for LISA is not sufficient. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so interestingly, um, you might think that LISA sort of was described after Ensure, you know, that it's like a progression mm -hmm. of the technique and that it's a more modern form of surfactant. However, what's interesting is that the Danish group that published the paper that I mentioned earlier in uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, they initially wanted to publish, they published like their, their protocol. They said, we're going to publish this, this protocol about how we want to revisit the way administration is, of surfactants is being done. Um, I'm sorry, they it was a Swedish group that I mentioned, obviously, but it was in a Danish journal. So in a Danish journal, they published their protocol. And in this publication, they said, hey, we could give surfactant through what they called a thin catheter. And wow. they basically had described Lisa as mm -hmm. they were trying to figure out Ensure. And, but as I was comparing the publication of the protocol to the publication of the actual study, the thin catheter technique sort of disappeared in between. So it looks like they committed to a uh, Ensure sort of modality and, and Lisa sort of uh, fell by the wayside. Wow. So not much really happens uh, until probably 2007 when a group out of Germany and really the German neonatologists were the one who really spearheaded this, this new technique led by Dr. Angela Cribbs. Um, and they started publishing data on the administration of surfactant via thin catheter. And a few papers are published here and there, but they then published in 2008 in Acta Pediatrica, a paper called early surfactant in spontaneously breathing with nasal CPAP in ELBW infants a single center, four-year experience. And the paper reviewed retrospectively their experience with LISA on close to 200 patients over a four-year period. And they basically what they did is that they didn't look at this time frame in a continuous fashion. They categorized the time period into four separate epochs and reported their outcomes for each of these epochs. Surprisingly, um, for an early paper, these babies were quite small, right? So you would think that maybe they, they, they would have tried uh, LISA on larger babies, but the gestational age of these babies in that paper ranged from 25 to 27 weeks. Wow. And their birth weight was as low as 600 grams. So mm -hmm. ballers, as we say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the, the data that they published showed that uh, nasal CPAP as initial airway management significantly increased from mm -hmm. 69 to 91%. And for nasal CPAP with surfactant, from 75% to 86%. So, um, and so that, um, and the rate of nasal CPAP failure decreased from 46 to 25%. Survival increased significantly between periods one, between period zero and one, from 76% to 90%. And survival without BPD rose from 65% to 80%. No changes in non-pulmonary outcomes were observed. And since then, there was a score of studies that have been published on the use of LISA in various patient populations. And for the sake of brevity, I will just take you to the top of the evidence pyramid. So in case you don't remember for the boards, there's an evidence pyramid. Mid-analyses, systematic reviews are at the top. And in, um, on, is it May 10th, 2021? I'm having a, uh, I'm having doubts now. 
shoot. I can look. Um, yeah, May 10th, 2021. I just wanted to make sure that the, the yeah. Yeah. So this was a Cochrane review that was uh, published called Surfaxin Therapy via Thin Catheter in Preterm Infants with or at Risk of Respiratory Distress Syndrome. And this was authored by Abdel Latif and colleagues. Um, actually, there's, yeah, there's, there's a few people on the paper. So what does the Cochrane uh, try to achieve? So the goal of the review was to compare surfactant administration with a thin catheter with intubation and surfactant administration through an endotracheal tube or continuation of non-invasive respiratory support without surfactant administration or intubation. The review included randomized trials comparing surfactant administration via thin catheter, which in the paper is STC, so surfactant with thin catheter. Again, you would think LISA is not even being used, That's which right. makes everything very confusing, but still it's the same. And so they're comparing administration of surfactant via, via thin catheter with number one, surfactant administration through an ET tube or just continuation of non-invasive support without anything. They also included trials comparing different methods slash strategies of surfactant administration via thin catheter. And we'll talk about that. The patients that they looked at were, had to be preterm, meaning born at less than 37 weeks of gestation with or at risk of RDS. So what did um, the search yield? So the search yielded a total of 16 studies, which ended up including about 2,000 or so neonates, so a lot, a lot of babies. These studies compared surfactant administration via thin catheter with surfactant administration through an ET and early extubation, which was insure, and that was in 12 studies, or with delayed extubation, that was two studies, or with continuation of nasal CPAP and rescue surfactant administered at a pre-specified criteria later on, that was one study, or compared different strategy of surfactant administration via thin catheter, that was one study. Um, and I think what you end up finding is that it's actually smart not to compare LISA with no surfactant, right? Mm. Because ethically speaking, right. it's difficult to withhold surfactant. Um, it's a proven uh, uh, therapy. And so for the people who are trying to understand why nobody really did that specific design, it really has to do with try to try to pass a study through IRB saying one group right. is not going to get surfactant. It's just, just not possible. Um, only two trials uh, that they, that they uh, found reported neurosensory outcomes uh, of the surviving participant at two years of age. So what were some of the outcomes that they looked at? And I'm going to look at the, at the main ones because I'm sure people are wondering, what about freaking BPD, right? Does Lisa mm -hmm. BPD, right? Everybody wants to know that. But the outcomes were, number one, death or BPD, right? And the composite outcome of death or BPD was defined as the need for oxygen or respiratory support at 36 weeks postmenstrual age, which is the 1988 definition by Sheenan. And if you want to know more about BPD definition, we have a full week of episodes uh, about BPD and its definition. Another outcome was the need for intubation within 72 hours of life. If you want to know more about extubation and why 72 hours of life is probably not a good outcome, listen to the extubation readiness uh, series that um, Lindsay Kanake did on mm -hmm. our podcast. They looked at also air leak requiring drainage. They looked at severe IVH. They looked at death during hospitalization. They looked at BPD only, death or survival with neurosensory disability, and a lot of other secondary outcomes. But I think these are good enough to look at, and they're really, they, they, they cover most of the things that we want to cover. So let's look at them one by one. Um, 
Compare in, in terms of death or severe BPD, comparison of death or severe BPD between LISA and surfactant via an ET tube was reported in 10 out of 16 studies. And the meta-analysis of the trials showed a significant decrease in the risk of this outcome with LISA compared to that surfactant given through, through an ET tube. And the uh, RR was 0.59 with a number needed to treat of nine. And there was um, the the heterogeneity for the studies was low, which, in terms of the need for intubation within seventy two hours, it was reported by twelve out of sixteen studies, and the meta analysis showed a significant decrease in the risk of this outcome with Lisa compared to surfactant through an ET tube. Again, an RR of 0.63 with a confidence interval of 0.54 to 0.74. Number needed treat was eight. In terms of pneumothoraces, air leaks. Um, air leaks requiring chest tube slash needle drainage was reported in six out of the 16 studies, and the meta-analysis showed no significant difference of this outcome between the two techniques. Severe IVH was reported in five studies only and showed a significant decrease of this outcome in LISA, or uh, surfactant through thin catheter, compared with surfactant through an ET tube, with a number needed to treat of 22, which is obviously something that, like, when you're actually intubating a baby and you're putting and you're increasing anthrothoracic pressure, you're doing all these things, like, right, we know this can actually lead to IVH. So it's not, it's not uh, something to really shrug at. Yeah. In terms of death during hospitalization, it was reported by 10 out of 16 studies, studies and showed a significant difference in the risk of this outcome between LISA and surfactant through an ET tube with an RR of 0.63. So death was actually um, lower in the group, in the LISA group. BPD was analyzed in 11 studies and showed a significant difference in the risk of this outcome with uh, favoring LISA over surfactant through an ET tube with an RR of 0.57 and a number needed to treat of 13. So technically, according to the latest Cochrane review, mm -hmm. LISA reduces BPD, the risk of developing BPD with this specific definition compared to insure or surfactant through an ET tube. And finally, death or survival with neurosensory disability was not really reported in the end by any of the studies, despite it being uh, one of the um, outcomes that were measured. So, um, okay. I'm going to stop here for today. Okay. <laughs> more to come tomorrow. You did a lot of work. There's more to come. Okay. <laughs> Guys, I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for uh, spending the time with us. And uh, let's talk more about Lisa and Surfactant tomorrow. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at nikupodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.